Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome to episode 38 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castrigano, back from Bradenton, a little bit tanner, somehow even more excited for Bucko Baseball. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, Ed Wassell, and later on, we will have from Bradenton, Marauders, play-by-play, Ben Picorni. But Ed, we have Pirates Baseball games to talk about for the first time in months. How are we feeling about that? Feeling good. It's exciting to have baseball back in our lives. It was a lot of fun to be able to go and see it. Last week, we got to talk about what one game. <laughs> so a ton of games this week, just a ton. So let's dive in on this. So Sunday, February 26th, Pirates played simulated four-inning intra-squad game at LeeCom. They were previously scheduled to play against the Rays, but it was canceled a while back. Not too much I could take away from it. It's basically just practice. Monday, we had the Phillies, JT Brubaker on the mound. He got hurt by the long ball, gave up a two-run shot in the first of his two innings, but really settled down in the second one. Johan Ramirez followed, allowed a three-run shot in his lone innings, uh, lone inning of work. We also saw Rule 5 pick, Jose Hernandez pitch. He looked really good in his debut. Tyler Chatwood, not so much. Will Crow looked all right. Two strikeouts in his inning. Wei Che Huang, Angel Perdomo, and Carmen Majinski each pitched scoreless innings. Majinski was cool to see. I, I think that he had a really solid outing there. On the offensive side, Key Brian Hayes had a big home run, uh, 108.2 off the bat. Andy and Jack Sawinski each hit hard doubles. So that's good to see. First couple games getting it going. Tuesday, Luis Ortiz was pitching against the Orioles. Was excited to see him pitch. He had two clean innings, showed his changeup twice, which he's been working on, including as a strikeout pitch against a left-handed hitter. Something he's mentioned wanting to work on. Bednar had a clean inning. Good bounce back. He had that rough outing on Saturday last week. Harlan Garcia had looked sharp. Rob Zastrinsky had some bad defense behind him. NRI guy competing for a bullpen spot. Um, Hunter Stratton, he also struggled. And then Kyle Nicholas, JC Flowers, Kim Aldred. They each had clean innings uh, without even allowing a hit there. Uh, Flowers has some really cool stuff. He's got a good three-pitch mix, fastball, slider, changeup. And then CSN had the hardest hit ball in all of baseball on the day with a 111.5. I think it was a double to right. I don't remember off the top of my head. Chavez Young also had two hard hits. Uh, Nick Gonzalez, Jason DeLay each hit bombs over the left field wall. And Tucapito Marcano had some really good at-bats. Wednesday's game was radio only, so visually not able to really... Talk too much about that. Johan Oviedo 
was struggling early on. He gave up four runs in the first inning, but uh, sounded like he did much better in the second inning with location and um, tunneling his pitches. Dwayne Underwood struck out three in his inning of work. Chase DeYoung had a solid outing. Offense was led by a two-run shot from O'Neill Cruz, a three-run shot by Travis Swaggerty. And then split squad game on Thursday. Keller on the mound at home against the Yankees. Rowanzi up in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. Keller, a bit wild this start. Three runs off four hits, two of which were home runs. Decent pitching for the rest of the guys, excluding, once again, Tyler Chatwood. Another blow-up outing. A uh, big thing from that game, Travis Swaggerty threw out a runner at home from pretty deep center. That was cool. The offense otherwise pretty anemic. Only two hits, one of which was a home run from Drew Maggie. Uh, the other was an infield single by Matt Frazier. The Blue Jays game had a lot more good stuff. Ruanzi, another solid outing. Only one run allowed on a balk. Definitely was a balk. It's not a new rule violation. Sometimes these things happen. We also got to see Colin Selby, Dowry Moretta, and Jared Jones for, I believe, the first time this spring in that game. Also saw top prospect Mike Burroughs, who has reportedly been working on a slider. Didn't see it in the game, but likely trying to focus on other pitchers. Excuse me, other pitches before adding in the new one. I did write an article about Burroughs for Inside the Bucks Basement. So if you're listening, haven't checked that out already, definitely look into that. Really high on that guy. Saturday, we had another game against the Phillies. Rich Hill starting the game. Big curve, hovering around 70. His slider was around there too, I believe. Fastball, upper 80s. His arm slots all over the place. Um, that's got to be a nightmare for hitters. But the big story was Harlan Garcia. He only lasted a third of an inning, gave up some hard hits before leaving in the middle of an at-bat with an injury. It was later reported as left arm tightness, something to monitor. We don't have any updates on that as of right now. Could potentially lead to him getting pulled from World Baseball Classic consideration. Key had a big triple to start the game, scoring CSN, who reached base on a three-base error. Choi doubled and had a sack fly, so he's starting to look more comfortable. Also going to be... um, Something to keep an eye on. I was going to say leaving for World Baseball Classic, but nope. Kyle Nicholas had another two-inning outing of scoreless relief. He was touching 97 on his fastball in the game. His curveball was a little wild, but he's someone who I'm also excited to see this spring. And then we get to today's game, Sunday, where Brubaker went three scoreless. Holderman continued to look dominant. Chris Owings hit a big home run. Main story is about Kutch, who was hit on the hand during an at-bat. No updates as of now. Left the game with um, hand soreness. <laughs> like discomfort was, I think, the exact word there. So we're recording this Sunday night, hoping that it's nothing too serious. But it's something we're going to be keeping an eye on. And that brings us up to date. So, Ed, we got a full week, what, eight games in seven days. What are uh, some of your takeaways from this past week? Uh <clears throat> I'll start off with Brubaker. Uh, you mentioned in that first start, was a little rough, got bit by the long ball. But then came out and I believe struck out five straight to end his, his day there. He had a bunch of strikeouts. That, that's his thing. He's, all, he's able to get the strikeouts, but if, if the guys don't swing and miss, they hit it hard. Yeah, but so rough start, finished strong there, had a, a real nice start today. Uh, we'll go to Kutch. Obviously, everyone's concerned how that is. Didn't look that bad. I think it was just one of those, there's no point in continuing to play this game for him. 
You know, I mean, let's get it checked out, make sure it's nothing serious. Mm-hmm. But it looked more like, to me, it looked like it like grazed his knuckles. It wasn't like a solid hit on the back of the hand where it should have broke anything. So here's the hoping for that. Right. Uh, something that I felt like it's standing out to me a little bit, and I understand it's spring training and shouldn't look too much into it, but Bay has not had the spring I've expected out of him so far at the plate. I think he only has like maybe two hits so far. A little, uh, not worry, just, I guess I'll say upset that he's not doing a little bit better because I always preach that, oh, yeah, he hits at every level. This and that, he's batting 300 all the time. Could be a slow starter. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk to Ben in a little bit. And from what I talked to him about, he actually specifically mentioned Bay in batting practice. The ball, he's just hitting the ball so hard. It's like the loudest sound of any of the guys hitting. I don't know if Cruz is part of that <laughs> group, but um, he, he specifically had mentioned Bay as someone who uh, is, is going to be just fine. Uh, he, and he's put on a bit of muscle this spring. Guys like him, Hayes, um, I think Reynolds, guys have been saying like his legs look stronger. I didn't get to, I don't think I got to see him in either of the games I saw last week. Um, see, now I'm getting too far out. I, I don't remember these specifics, but it's a lot of interesting players down there. And it was really cool to get to see the prospects, get to um, talk to some of the guys briefly. I was able to talk to Justice. Uh, from MLB, the beat writer for the Pirates last week. And that was really fun. Some good uh, insights that he was able to provide. Hoping to be able to do more stuff like that going forward. Um, One of the surprises for me, because we potentially have this competition for one of the NRI utility players to be like a backup middle infielder, it's possible that, you know, Bay, Marcano one of those two ends up filling that role. But in the event that they don't, Drew Maggie had a, has been surprisingly good. And I think Justice had an article last week about him and how he's someone to watch out for because he's been a minor leaguer for like 12 years and it's pretty much just like plateaued at AAA. But he's he's actually pretty good. He's not like, like he might end up being a depth guy, might be a quad A guy, but um, I'm liking what I'm seeing. And Chris Owings, uh, somebody tweeted out, I, I posted a lineup this morning and somebody was like, okay, I'm already done with seeing Owings. I'm like, he's had five at bats. I think they're going to want to give him a little bit more leash than that. And then he hits a two run bomb today. Yeah. And it, it, talking about, uh, depth at middle infield, Owings would be a great player for that. I mean, he's got the most experience as a backup shortstop. He's played that for a good chunk of time. Yep. I mean, as you see, he's got some power. He's got, he's been around for a few years. I believe he was with what, the Orioles this past season? He's with the Orioles. He he spent time with the Diamondbacks. Like, he's, he's, he's a journeyman. He's the definition of a journeyman. A a first round pick for the Diamondbacks, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly. You know how Charrington loves his first rounders. But um, yeah, so somebody to keep an eye on if like that doesn't get cleared out. And one of the guys I really liked down when I was down there, and I was talking to um, Gary Morgan about this on he was, and Jim Stam on the Twitter space they were doing last week. Chavez Young, 
because I think we're going to be having a weird competition for the fourth outfield spot. And if it ends up being a defensively minded guy, perhaps they go with like Travis Swaggerty. His defense is great. And we're starting to see the bat come along, but I really like Chavez young as like a dark horse candidate. He's really speedy, great glove, great arm. Um, I, I think he, the bat could be sneaky that the couple times that I saw him last week, uh, he was having really strong at bats overall. So somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah, he'd be a, a good dark horse candidate there. But we will see. So moving on from that, MLB released their top 30 prospects this past week, updated for the Pirates. Not a ton of movement overall. From how they ended last year, Luis Ortiz made a clear jump up. Some guys dropped or rose a few places. But, Ed, any surprises that you took from this list? Uh, I know we were just discussing this. Um, you see, I'm a little surprised Hudson Head still in the top 25. I know he didn't make either of our lists for the top 30. He did not. Yeah, that... I don't even think he dropped that much from what they had last year. So it's all projection. Yeah, he was somewhere in that same same area. Because he had a rough season. Matt Frazier right ahead of him at 23. Uh, Really athletic. I mean, he's he's got the potential, but I feel like all of his success was at Greensboro two years ago. So another player we discussed was Lonnie White Jr. Not really moving much. I mean, I'm. Again, injured pretty much all last year, but that would be another just projection player putting them there. Right. Yeah, a little bit surprising on that. Yeah. Okay, and joining us now, Ben Picorni, the new voice of the Bradenton Marauders. Ben, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Good, thanks for having me. Um, I've, I've second Pittsburgh Pirates podcast now, so excited to kind of get the name <laughs> out there. Talk some uh, talk some baseball in the Berg and baseball in Bradenton with with people who care about it and are informed about it. It's awesome. Yeah, I work with Craig on Inside the Bucks Basement. Uh, he's he's just one step ahead of me. He had Murph on the other day for Greensboro, and I potentially got him going next week or this uh, this next episode. So Craig's just right there, uh, really knowledgeable. It was it was a great interview. Really enjoyed that episode, and obviously wanted to talk to you. Uh, myself, me and Ed, we have a lot of questions as far as things going on in Bradenton and potential rosters. Now, there's a number of players who, uh, especially last year, some moved up to Greensboro, came back to Bradenton, like Michael Escado. um, And then there's some guys in rookie ball who potentially could like move up to Bradenton and then jump right to Greensboro. Who are some players who were in Bradenton last season who may still be staying there? I think the biggest name that everyone wants to know about, and especially me, is is Termar. Um, you know, he one was, of the top two, I think. At yeah, least. He's, he was in big league camp, um, and I'm sure everyone knows, was moved out of big league camp um, during the spring training process. Um, so I think that you know, I, I can't really speculate because I don't I don't know, just like the general public don't know. I mean, there's roster meetings every day at Pirate City on the minor league side of things. Um, I I would be really, really surprised to see Termar start somewhere besides Bradenton. 
Um, I think he got really hot at his end of his stint here with us last summer uh, before kind of having or after having a rocky start. So I don't think it would hurt his development at all. He's still 19 years old. I mean, he'd be playing Mm -hmm. maybe getting 40 at bats if you're an average college stage baseball player in a season. Um, So I think just catching up with that professional level of pitching and just being a big leaguer uh, in terms of his mindset every day would be really huge in Bradenton. Um, I think that you'll definitely see him at some point in Greensboro, probably maybe Altoona at some point this next year. I, that'd be really great to see if he could grow that quickly. Um, Cause you're talking about a guy who's hitting 111 for half of his stint in Bradenton. And then once he figured things out, he really, really figured things out. He was batting up towards 300 and finished yeah. I think it was 254. Don't, don't, don't hold me to that. I think that was roundabout his finished batting average in Bradenton um, last season. So obviously things were clicking for him towards the end there. And if he has a really hot start and finds those things uh, that he needs to click that he, that he found at the end of the 2022 season, you could see him jump up pretty quickly. Um, I think in terms of his development through the ranks of the farm system. Yeah, my big thing on that is I would be surprised if they were so aggressive as to start him in Greensboro. It is a really hitter-friendly park, and he has an advanced bat. Like you said, he started off, I think he got one hit in his first 11 at-bats or 12 at-bats, something like that. And then you watch the video of him, everything was like hit really hard off the bat, 90-plus. Another top prospect, and he spent his whole, or at least most of the season last year with Bradenton, and we recently got news about him, Bubba Chandler, where he's only going to be working on pitching. Now, if they were going to keep him as a two-way player, I was like, well, he's definitely starting in Bradenton this year because his hitting just wasn't there. Is that still going to be the case now that he's pitcher only? I think it would be beneficial to him um, just because... I think your ability to work not just in a game situation, but off the field, if you're focusing only on that pitching aspect as he is now, you have Pirate City in the training and, and coaching facilities that you have 15 minutes away from Lee Com Park, where if that's something he really wants to hone in on, and obviously he does now, um, I think it would be a really smart idea to kind of just take a few weeks down here and grow in terms of his just getting used to pitching every day. That's something he hasn't done is Mm -hmm. being a guy that's going to say, Hey, you might throw three or four times this week. Um, In the past, it was, you might bat two games. You might throw once or twice. So I think it is a huge switch in terms of not the pitching side of things. We know he can pitch. We know he can dominate uh, when he gets out in a game situation, but handling the workload of being a pitcher, your preparation for, week leading up to a game or day before a game totally changes when that's your craft. Um, I think I would of course be excited whenever I talk to people about like, Oh, is this guy going to start in Bradenton, Greensboro, Altoona? Um, I always hope they start in Bradenton a little selfishly just because it makes it more fun for me to see these guys play uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so I think you could see him do something like Quinn Priester did last year. And I talked about this with Craig on bucks in the basement, as you mentioned, Yep. Uh, that Quinn Priester started here after a bit of a rehab. I know Bubba's not rehabbing, but he is pretty much changing the type of player that he is in terms of um, how his journey is going to continue through the organization. Uh, and Quinn Priester was involved in a 
no hitter combined no hitter last year not I would I mean I would love Bubba to be involved in a combined no hitter here at the start of this season um, but I think it'd be good for his development in terms of throwing every day and getting in that PO mindset um, maybe spend some time down here yeah was it Salamito who was involved in one last year I think he yeah, went six uh, innings was, of one or five innings yeah pre the early in the season was Priester and two other guys I'd have to look it up I want to say it was like Domkowski maybe and I'm not gonna know it off the top of my head yeah, so no. <laughs> yeah Ed I might need you to look that up be the research guy um yeah so when players are talked about as like where they're starting uh I might err on that side saying like hey selfishly I want them in Bradenton because if they go to Greensboro half of the games right now aren't being broadcast yeah there have been rumors that they're going to be expanding the broadcasts for minor leagues. Broadcasting in general across minor league baseball, if, if I can go on a little tangent, is go for it. growing incredibly right now just in terms of single-A Florida State League. As you guys know, this is the least broadcasted, least media-covered minor league, arguably, in all the United States just because of the fact that you have people that make their home here during the winter and spring to watch the Pirates, to watch – you know, the Jays up in Dunedin and they clear out once that spring training season's over. I mean, we have 150 volunteer employees at LECOM right now that are going back to Pittsburgh once spring training is done because that's where they're from and they live there in spring and summer. Okay. Uh, so you, you lose a lot of fans that you see coming to games and people that are interested in baseball in, in that regard. I also think, especially for teams like Clearwater, us, Dunedin, uh, the Yanks, you know, you have professional sports to compete with in that regard, too. Um, there's only one other team up until this season um, that had MILB TV broadcasting their games uh, through a video feed. It was us and I want to say St. Lucie um, last season. And now I want I think it was Dunedin who reached out about kind of growing their MILB TV. And with Major League Baseball now including that in their packages for fans to watch. Um, there's a lot of pressure on teams to unify in terms of getting their broadcast all of that even plane of being able uh, to be viewed by everybody. Um, so I think that'll be something in the next few years, especially with how minor league baseball was reduced a few years ago. Um, and that would be a two hour long conversation if we talked about that topic, but probably four. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it, 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 there's no excuse not to try and, get good uniformity in terms of that aspect of, of broadcasting at the minor league level. Yeah. And I'm hoping that it does come to Greensboro. So I do want to pivot away from specifically baseball and talk about your journey. So you, uh, recent graduate, what was it? Arizona state? Yes. The Harvard of the West is. Like <laughs> oh, it's commonly called. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us about your uh, journey from Arizona out to Florida and how you, came to join uh, Bradenton and, and the, the Pit Pirates organization. Yeah. So this would be, this is my fourth season announcing organized baseball in terms of like the summer, I guess you could say, because now we go spring to fall. Um, mm -hmm. When I was 20, I started broadcasting in a town called Quincy, Illinois, um, about 20,000 people on the Mississippi river, um, right where Illinois, Missouri and uh, Iowa meet. Um, if you're wondering what's there, your answer is nothing except for a team called the, Quin the Quincy Gems, uh, who play at a hundred plus year old ballpark made out of limestone called the Rock Pile. 
Um, and that was my first broadcasting gig. I had a 86 year old broadcast partner who um, loved the St. Louis Cardinals and I hate the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> um, and you'd have a guy come up to bat and his name would be like Jeremy Johnson. He'd be like, all right, you remember this guy in 1962, he was a farmhand for the Cardinals, same name and everything. I'm like, Bill, I wasn't born yet. Neither was my dad, man. Uh, but he was, he was a great dude and, and taught me a lot just about being a professional, but uh, just a, some of the experiences you have at like the really, really small levels um, stick with you more than anything. And then I moved on to Kalamazoo, uh, the Growlers in the Northwoods League, uh, where I was last year and uh, championship winning season. We played 72 regular season games in 75 days. Um, so that was the most realistic minor league broadcasting experience I could have gotten. Um, and when I got this job in Bradenton, you know, everyone's, oh, that schedule, 132 games, all that. I'm like, no, this will be cake. Like, we get a Monday off. We get Mondays Every off. Every week? Breaks, yeah. So we had three off days, June 5th, July 5th, and July 17th last summer. And that was it. So yes. we'd play 20-some-odd days straight. Uh, and you'd be sitting there on a doubleheader Sunday in Kokomo, Indiana, kind of looking around like, how the heck did we get here? We were just in Wisconsin. We were in <laughs> Minnesota two days ago. This is the wrong Kokomo. Beach Boys <laughs> didn't sing about this one. Yep. We, I, I heard that song maybe 50 times playing at that ballpark this past summer. Um, but Oof. yeah, I, uh, I applied for the gig um, after kind of shopping around a couple other um, single A, high A, and, and double A teams just putting feelers out saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, and I think I must have reached out to 90 teams, uh, interviewed with three of them. Um, the process with Bradenton was about five phone calls, Zoom type interviews, um, ended up going out to the winter meetings to meet with the front office people um, in San Diego. I was, I was going anyway, because it was so convenient to go from Phoenix to San Diego as an hour long flight. Uh, so popped out there and met with them in person. Uh, and they called probably three days later um, and offered me the job. I was back home in Chicago with my family. I was about 7.30 in the morning there, 8.30 on the East Coast. And I got a call. I'm like, darn, if this is my if this is my mom or dad telling me to get the snowplow out, I'm going to be really upset. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I flipped the phone over and it, it was Rebecca, our amazing assistant general manager here, and offered me the job. And I think we've got about three seconds in the conversation before I accepted it. Um, and then uh, first thing I did was uh, go to a, what, Lids, I think it's, yeah, Lids, um, bought three Pirates hats, wrapped them up, and my parents got home from work. I had them open them, and that's kind of how I told them that I got the job here. So they absolutely, well, that's awesome. they lost it, yeah, so. Did you uh, get any Bradenton hats? I've got my, I think, I ordered this on Amazon, so it's like. Yeah, I have one that I got when we were, uh, so every spring training, we moved from our offices at Lecom and we packed the entire Bradenton front office into the ticket office there um, to make room for the big league staff. Um, my office is just the press box um, during spring training. Um, so I'm even on off days when we're not playing, I'm sitting up there and that's, that's my view, which I'm not, not going to complain about. Um, but pulled out, I think it was a 2012 Marauders 4th of July um, on field hat. And I, I have it somewhere, but um, that that's that that one will that one will be busted out in Daytona Beach on on the Fourth of July game up there. 
that's going to be great. All right. So Ed texted me June 9th, Quinn Priester, Anthony Solomito, Jake Sweeney, and Junior Thibault for okay. that no-hitter. I thought it was three. Okay. Yeah, I remember watching videos of that. It was a little bloop pop fly that ended it. Um, and that was that Quinn Priester's only pitched three innings at the single-A level, and there were three no-hit innings that led to a combined no-hit effort, which is it, – it adds to a laundry list of incredible things about that dude. Um, if – people don't know him he's he's an outstanding person off the field too um i actually went to a high school in his conference in high school um and you would go to games when he was pitching and fans and parents couldn't sit down because the seats were taken up by scouts from tcu texas nebraska and then also major league scouts and of course ends up ends up getting drafted uh, he uh we had a pirates block party a few weeks ago and People were um, moving tables and equipment to, to set stations up. And three of our promo workers were carrying a bunch of boxes. And uh, I'm by the autograph table, just overseeing the, uh, the card junkies that were trying to, trying to fight their way in there as, as they do uh, for the autos. And I turn around and uh, there's someone helping, helping these girls load stuff into the U-Haul. And sure enough, it's Quinn Priester. Uh, wow. It was, you know, just walking to fill in his session at the autograph table and you know how many guys that are first out round picks are you gonna see helping helping pirates employees load stuff into a truck uh, just a just a good person all around and uh, my uncle coached him in high school football and so i've i've heard nothing but good things about him and, and seen nothing but good things from him so that's great i'm looking forward to seeing him probably debut towards the end of this season oh, yeah. now we've got a lot of top tier players who are about to debut in pittsburgh this season who are some guys who we could see debuting in bradenton either early this year or possibly like later this summer rookie league players yeah so this is this this guy i'm going to bring up is probably one of my favorite stories in baseball that i've i've dove into the past few years i talked about it with craig and his name's alessandro Urcalani. Um, he's on my list yeah the Pirates signed him when he was 16 um, from San Marino, um, country of like 30,000 people inside of Italy. Um, and Pirates signed him when he was 16. He was pitching in the Little League World Series the first ever time he came to the U.S. Um, and was a pitcher and catcher uh, for the European Little League World Series team. Uh, and sure enough, you know, three years later, crazy to think that from going to the Little League World Series, he was moving into Pirate City, um, limited action his first year in the Complex League. Um, and then this past season, uh, absolutely exploded. Um, I, I want to say it was like a 1-1-5 ERA uh, with a steady handful of innings pitched, um, a save, a win mixed in there too. Um, and now he's featuring on the roster for Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic. So there's a lot of guys who are at the complex level actually who are going to play in the world baseball classic and uh, for, for smaller countries and in, in baseball terms, uh, Tanash Thomas, one of those guys uh, yeah, playing for team UK. Yeah. Or GB, sorry. Um, but born in the Bahamas pirates complex league guy. Um, so I think it'll be really cool to see some of those guys that pirates fans have never probably even heard of. If you're talking about general fans, um, that have been dominating at a, a very smaller level within the organization, but 
in terms of their ability are obviously good enough in the eyes of certain people to go out there and face, you know, Robbie Cano, Shohei Otani, Seiya Suzuki, uh, and their various groups in the World Baseball Classic. So Urkelani is one for me that um, if he was in Bradenton, I'd be very excited to see just because I think that's an unbelievable story for a guy from a a country that you would not expect a guy that posted a, a 115 or 113 ERA to come from. Yeah. Well, he turns 19 next month, so I don't think it would be too far out of the question. I don't yeah. know how much time he spent at FCL overall. Uh, two two years overall in the FCL. Um, yeah. First he had a- season was about eight innings, and then last year, I want to say upwards of 30 maybe. Oh, let me see. I have it pulled up here. Yeah, 10 games, 30.1 innings. And he actually had a 1.19 ERA. Oh, jeez, I undersold. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I keep hearing people mention Urkelani as someone to watch, and I'm like, okay, so he's one of those under the radar guys, um, like your uh, Donny De Los Santos. I was surprised to see him listed so high on the recent Fangraphs ratings yeah. uh, rankings. And is it too presumptuous to assume that he could be starting? like April, May in Bradenton? I think in terms of where he's going to end up is his, where he's needed most. Uh, I I think it entirely depends on where guys above him and below him fall in place. Because if guys like Urkelani or Thomas end up starting in Bradenton um, as those younger guys who are going to try and eat some innings, you could easily see him up in Greensboro. But if you're going to bump guys down like, at the triple a level to the double a and, and so on and so forth. It's kind of one of those seesaw battles where I don't think it necessarily depends on his ability. Cause his ability is, is at a good level. It just kind of depends where other pieces fall into place. Uh, kind of like a, a, you know, a two way utility guy. If you want to talk like a triple a to, to major league level comparison. Okay. Um, are there any other, offensive guys who could be making the jump. I'm not going to be making comments like Axial Plaz, who was blowing everyone away and somehow he ended up as like top 30 or something like that for fan graphs, but you see the guy swing and it's like a cannon off the bat. Um, are there any other under the radar or even on the radar guys like Shailen Polanco, um, Braylon Bishop, Solomon McGuire, who we could be seeing in Bradenton? I think you can use those guys interchangeably. Um, big thing for me is looking at our Altoona crop of guys that are playing in spring ball right now, guys like Matt Frazier, um, especially who broke up a, a no-hitter the other day, which was yep. very, very fun to watch. A little in, infield single to break up a, a combined no-hit bid, um, which has been happening a lot in spring training lately, getting close to no-hitters. I think we've had four into the ninth inning this year alone. And there was finally a no-hitter. It was either today or yesterday I saw. Yeah, the, I think it was the Cubs, right? Pulled off a... Yeah, the Cubs no-hit. Yeah. I forget who it was, but yeah. Um, but in, in terms of offensive side of things, I think that with the pitch clock system that we saw throughout minor leagues last year, it it, it is undeniable that it benefits pitchers, in my opinion. Um, and so I think that a lot of guys are having to adjust how they approach an at-bat. And you could see that whole crop of guys that you mentioned move up in the levels just because they're used to playing with that quick-paced game that you saw uh, in Bradenton at the single-A level last year. 
So what do you anticipate being the most exciting thing about watching Bradenton ball this year? That uh, Jeremy Johnson, JJ, our manager, <laughs> um, or Jonathan, sorry, um, he is. Oh, I thought you were talking about the guy from 1965 no. on the Cardinals. No, I was no, like, no. oh, this guy's sorry. back. Okay. Well, that, that name popped in my head, and that's why I misspoke there, because that <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have used that name for my story earlier, but. Yeah, JJ and and I know the coaching staff are are out for a little bit of revenge this year after what was a robbery that a lot of people call. Um, I think I heard someone mention called the debacle in Dunedin or something like that, um, where the game got banged because of rain, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously the Marauders missed the playoffs, which was almost a sure thing in a lot of people's minds. They had to just win one game to get in kind of like a wild card scenario. Yeah, uh, so in terms of out. what? Yeah. We finished a half game out Yeah, because yeah. like two games got rained out at the end. Something and like that. Yeah. That that's something that I think sits with you as a, as a ball club manager. Not that I think, I know it sits with them uh, and people in the front office here in terms of the prospect side of things. Um, you know, one thing I've learned in, in the few months being part of this organization is that, fans are really frustrated and that they want to see success soon with the amount of prospects that have come through, um, you know, with guys like O'Neill and Cabrian that have made it up there already. Uh, but a lot of prospects that just haven't made the jump yet. I think Nick Gonzalez comes up a lot when talking about a guy that someone was, people were really expecting to, to fight his way up towards the big leagues uh, at this point in time. But that, that, that prospect's base and that excitement is still there for me, honestly, guys like Termar and now with the number one overall pick in the major league baseball draft, I'm going to be holding up a pirate's Jersey when his name is called on draft night this summer. Um, you know, I think that if, if not this year, the next year, you're going to see some of the best prospects at the single a level in Bradenton just because of the volume of draft picks that we're going to have towards the front end, um, of every round. Um, if you if you love uh, unapologetic, straight to the point broadcasting, uh, that's another reason to to tune in. Uh, you know, I, I think that you got to make baseball fun when you're playing 132 odd games. So uh, for anyone that that hasn't tuned into one of my broadcasts before, um, don't wear headphones, uh, and uh, you know, just just sit back and enjoy it because I think that. Um, you know, too many people uh, take for granted just, you know, whether they work in baseball or, or play baseball that, you know, it's it's the greatest job in the world um, every day. You know, you, you, you got to wake up and say that because you're doing something that, a, you know, a couple hundred people behind you would kill to do. Um, so I think that that's kind of how I, I go about broadcasting. And I, I, I think it's pretty fun. I guess some people have liked it. I've gotten this far. Um, so um, if there's a reason to watch some great prospects, um, people should tune in and, and hopefully enjoy a good broadcast. Yeah, long way from Quincy and Kalamazoo. <laughs> yes, a uh, lot seems. better weather. A lot better weather. <laughs> um, Ed, do you, did you have a question? <coughs> yeah, sorry. <clears throat> You're good. <laughs> I was going to mute my mic to clear my throat and then... It's the beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I was curious if you thought that Michael Kennedy was going to start up in Bradenton this year. Mm. I think that he's ready for the jump um, up to Greensboro. And I think that 
a big thing that I like that a lot of guys get when they do go to Greensboro, just based on talking to other broadcasters and people that have kind of moved through the farm system here is that Greensboro is a really good, just baseball atmosphere. Um, a team that's really well supported in terms of their attendance and, you know, Carolina league, that's, that's the, or whatever they change the name to every other year now. Um, is it still the Carolina league that it's called? I don't even know. Yeah. Um, it's a schedule I, up here. I know they changed the names um, in 2020. That was, that was a tough thing for me to try and remember if all the leagues reverted back to their old names or whatever. Uh, but I think that that's, that's the bold Durham classic minor league experience where you see guys grow. And that, that high a level is a solid mix of guys who have worked their butt off after getting drafted in the back ends of the, you know, old MLB draft, you know, rounds 20 through 40 and a mix of guys that are top tier prospects. Um, like you saw Priester spend almost, a, I want to say a whole season in Greensboro. Um, so just being able to, to get into that atmosphere, I think is huge. So if I had to weather the guess, I'd say he starts the season in Greensboro. Um, but again, I'll say it again. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parrot at this point. <laughs> Any guy that people are excited to see, I really hope he plays at least one game in a Marauders uniform. Um, just so, you know, get some eyes on the ball club and, you know, give me a reason to get excited as if I don't have enough already. Well, Kennedy, he didn't even play in Bradenton last year. I think he maybe no. had a couple innings at FCL. Um, now I had a number of guys. Harrington we had in Bradenton last year. I'm hoping to see him. Brennan Malone rehabbing. I'm guessing he's going to be there. But yeah. then we've got um, recent international signing, Jun Suk Shim. Yes. However you say his name. I do my best yeah. on that. But yeah, that, is, when that guy got – sorry, go ahead. Ask your question. Sorry. I was just going to say, is he going to yeah. be in Bradenton? Because I feel like his stuff is so advanced, he he needs to be, right? God, I hope so. Oh, man. Um, he He's really hard to find film on. Yes. Um, but the most of the film I found have been like YouTube reels or Instagram reels. Uh, and watching him throw with my kilometers per hour to miles per hour converter out, because um, looking at the gun and some of the footage from him playing internationally, I had no idea what 153 kilometers translated to, if that was gas or if he was throwing BP out there. Um, but watching him throw, I mean, it it is obviously a different level of competition, but you just look at the stuff that he has, that guy in my opinion, would be a, you know, if he wasn't signed to a big league club, that guy's pitching Saturday nights for a, a power five, top 15 college program. Um, so I think he'd definitely be ready for Bradenton, if not, you know, uh, somewhere different. But I think you're going to see with a lot of the international guys, like with who we talked about earlier, Alessandro Kalani or Thomas, a lot yep. of guys that aren't U.S. based, they start in the FCL or they start in Bradenton just because we have the training facilities we have the living facilities. We have every translator of every language you could have here to try and interpret the game of baseball um, and, and to have people to work with. Um, so I think obviously going from playing at a you know U18 level internationally to playing professionally in America is entirely different. Um, if he took the mountain Bradenton this year, I would be unbelievably excited. And I think um, that's something that I would, whether the bet will happen at some point. He's one of many guys that we're excited to see, hopefully in Bradenton this summer. Uh, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. So thanks, Ben, for jumping on with us. Hopefully we're going to be able to get you on again sometime later on this summer, maybe recap first half sort of thing. For sure. Go box.
Well, that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Ben Picorni. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Picorni and listen to him this season as the new voice of the Marauders. Uh, Thanks again, Ben. You can follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you tune in. From all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.